1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: If you were to ask any kid growing up if they wanted to go to space, guaranteed most of them would say yes. However, if you were to tell them that while in space, they could die in several different ways and never see their families again, a few might change their minds. However, if you were to ask this kid if he wanted to go see 1986's Space Camp, well, that's a guaranteed yes, because that film is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A, grades and B, movies. Now... I'm going to admit that occasionally when a movie pops up, um, I get a little excited because the movie is actually a part of my childhood. It's one of those movies that I watched endlessly when it was on either paid TV or when it was out in the theaters or whatever the case may be. If I binged that movie, guaranteed, I'm going to defend it like there's no tomorrow. Today is one of those cases because we're about to talk about 1986's Space Camp. And here to join me on the show this week fellow Pantheon podcaster, host of the Comes a Time podcast, stand-up comedian, and host of his brand new special, Mike Fanoia is joining the show for the first time. Mike, welcome to the show. Now, before we get into this, before we jump into Space Camp, I want to give you the space a little bit here because, as I mentioned, you have a brand new comedy special coming out direct to YouTube. Please, take a second, let us know all about it.
2: Sure. Thank you. Um, Don't Let Me Down is my upcoming stand-up special, my debut special. Uh, I've put out an album before, but this is my first uh, full foray into the video and, you know, putting it out on YouTube and streaming it and all that. So I'm extremely excited. Uh, I recorded it at Fairfield Theater Company in Fairfield, Connecticut. It's a little black box theater. Great room. Um, And uh, it was I did kind of a DIY. I sort of did it all myself with a little help from my friends. So I'm pretty happy with the way that it came out. And it's going to be going live on YouTube November 9th. Um, for anybody who hears this before November 9th, if they're dying to watch it and they can't wait, my um, label, 800 Pound Gorilla, has it on their website on a pay-what-you-want model to kind of support the artists, you know. And uh, that's 800pgm.com. But for everyone else that can wait, uh, Mike dot, uh, Mike dot com for all details and the YouTube channel is just YouTube.com slash Mike Finoia, F-I-N-O-I-A so
0: it's exciting. And you're currently on tour right now doing some comedy dates
2: around the U.S. How has that tour been yeah. going? Uh, it's been a blast. Um, <clears throat> it's a hybrid of headlining dates, support Acts in uh you know for i'm a i'm a i work with the uh impractical jokers the tv show and uh i open for them on the road i do uh tour dates with them uh which is a thrill doing these like big theaters and it's really wild and then i go out with a buddy of mine a couple friends of mine big j okerson dave attell um and uh you know you do a special and it's kind of a weird thing uh with comedy it's kind of the opposite of music where you know you make an album and then you tour the album as a musician right comedy it's like you record an hour and then you you're done with that hour you know like once you release it you have to start over so um i am kind of at that starting over point and uh i go to my friends and say hey can i go out on the road with you and bomb for the next 6 months and you know, work out new material, and they're like, sure, that'll be fun, so I'm out doing those dates as well, so uh, it's really fun, and uh, it's good to be back out on the road, especially after, you know, being locked down for a couple years, it feels good to be, you know, back out, and uh, whenever I'm not out on the road, I'm doing shows in New York City a lot, so constantly hitting the stage, working out new stuff, so
0: well, I can safely say from someone who had to sit at home and wait for bars to open up so his band could actually go back out and start playing again, I completely empathize. Completely. Now, we're about to talk about a film that has nothing to do with stand up comedy. We're talking about 1986's Space Camp. What is it about this film that made you want to cover it?
2: Oh, dude. Well, I mean, it's a classic. I, I, I mean, when we got in touch and you told me basically what the parameters were for should we give a little bit of ba- of 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 inside baseball here where uh we were gonna talk about another movie but I think you had already done it um monster squad mm-hmm. and then um we talked about a potential harry and the henderson's chat but then I said what about space camp and you went oh my god absolutely we have to do space camp now the reason why I love this movie so much is because And I don't know how it happened when I was a kid, but, you know, for those uh, listeners who maybe didn't grow up with a VCR in their life, um, our parents and grandparents and whoever else were responsible for us would tape movies off of TV and there would be like three or four movies on one VHS tape. So basically, you know, you would pop in a VHS tape and it would be short circuit Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Planes, Trains and Automobiles or whatever. And then there'd be another tape that had Goonies, Gremlins and, you know, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So I had a tape that had Harry and the Hendersons and Space Camp on it and then a bunch of skateboarding stuff. So I used to watch that. Nonstop. Literally, it was just you'd go through cycles where you just watch these movies over and over and over again. And the fact that it would have a rating is almost sacrilege to me because it's like, what? How do they like it? It meant so much to me. Like, I loved this movie and I weirdly identified kind of a little bit with like all of the characters, you know? Um, but it was fun to be able to, uh, you know, go back and watch it again as an adult. And frankly, I think that was kind of like the selfish reason I wanted to talk th- about this movie with you because I've been dying to go back and watch it over again. And uh, it was a real treat to do that. So uh kind of holds up in a weird way. I have to be honest. I I
0: think in all honesty, it, it, a lot of it actually fares better ...now that it's separated from the time that it was released. And we're going to get into that a little bit. Before we do, though, it is time to take this gem of an 80s film, Space Camp, and
1: trailerize it. We knew that robots were secretly out to destroy us. Now witness the proof of their malevolence. As one sentient machine causes a life-or-death incident, ensuring the fate of five kids and their counselor by sending them into space in a shuttle not prepared for flight. With little oxygen, little training, and no food, they will have to fight for survival in Space Camp, somehow a family film, that will cause anyone to reevaluate their kids' summer plans. Watches this super smart and completely unqualified group of attendees need to learn to stop nagging each other, or risk spending the rest of their short lives in orbit. They say that in space, no one can hear you scream. Well, they're in space, and they're screaming a lot, and I heard every decimal. Kate Capshaw does her best to help bring the kids home in space camp. Rated PG for Problem Ground Control.
0: There's, there's, a, there's a bit to unpack out of all that one here, and we kind of made it sound like a horror film, but it is actually a lot of fun. But let's get into who is in this here. The movie stars Kate Capshaw, Leah Thompson, the late Kelly Preston, Larry B. Scott, Tate Donovan, Tom Skerritt, and is actually the film debut of one Mr. Walking Phoenix, although he was credited as Lee Phoenix in this. However, it should be noted that in this film, Kate Capshaw and Tom Skerritt are a couple. Their, ca- their yep. characters are a couple. Yep. There is a 20-year age difference between the two of them. She was 36 at the time and he was 56 when this film was released. And yet they play husband and wife. So go Tom Skerritt. I'm all for that. The movie was directed by Harry Winner, who has only directed one other theatrical release since this. That was 1996's House Arrest. However, he has directed a lot of episodes for shows like Felicity and Alias and Veronica Mars and a ton of other shows. So he's still working, just hasn't put anything out into the theaters. At the Young Artist Awards, the movie was nominated for Exceptional Feature Film for Family Entertainment Drama, but lost to the Karate Kid Part 2. And I don't know about you. I would pick this over Karate Kid Part 2 any day.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, look. Uh, Karate Kid Part 2 was pretty good. But I this is Space Camp. I, I don't know. I just feel like um, there's just too many um, incredible child actors in this. And I, I really enjoyed uh, <clears throat> Mark Knopfler was a, a big part of the soundtrack. Um, the walk of life was on this and so far away was on this, those two dire straight songs. Um, there was a lot about this movie that I really liked. So, um, yeah, I would pick this out definitely over, uh, over karate kid too.
0: But also consider nominated that same year was flight of the navigator. So it was actually a really, really good year for family films. Also, on the 30th anniversary of the release of this film, so in 2016, the cast was actually inducted into the Space Camp Hall of Fame. So yes, it's a real thing. Yeah. And uh, it was ever I didn't know that. It was actually the last ever film released by ABC Motion Pictures. When it was released on the June 6th, 1986 weekend, and man, I'm feeling old by saying that, but here we are. It debuted at number six with $2.9 million. The top movie that week was the fourth week of Top Gun, so I kind of get it. The highest grossing debut that weekend at number two was Raw Deal, which brought in almost $5.5 million. Also debuting that weekend were was invaders from mars which brought in two million for number seven and the my little pony the movie which only brought in four hundred and sixteen thousand dollars in 421 theaters that debuted at number 10 now it should be noted it should be noted that this film suffered from a little bit of timeliness because it was released six months after the challenger explosion uh now that being said it had already finished you know it was, it was already filmed by the time that happened, but they still released it six months afterwards. So you can understand why people might have been a little hesitant to go see it. And that did affect the overall box office. The film had a budget of $18 million, but only brought in a worldwide gross of $9.6 million. And talk about travesty. It's the reason why we're here because of the critic score. Over at yep. Metacritic, this film has a Metascore of 40, and over on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is only 50%, and the Tomatometer is 46. So before we get into the breakdown here, Mike, I'm going to ask you, if you had to put a, a, a percentage rating on this film, before we, before we break this down, what would you give it? 70, 74. I I can see that 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 seems like a a decent honest like I mean I'm, the the movie doesn't have its you know it, it has some faults but I don't think it has too many faults but I think seventy four is is a fair guesstimate here but let's get into the breakdown of this year and we're gonna start with Kate Capshaw who played
2: Andy um how was she for you in this I mean look she's got something to prove right she's you could tell that there's a little chip on the shoulder. Um, uh, she was supposed to already have gone to space. The movie actually begins with her in a field staring up at the stars. Re- remember? And she's like, you know, wait, like looking for a rocket. And she knows from a, as a child that she should be up there. But some things go wrong and she doesn't get to achieve the thing that she's supposed to. And, uh, you know, this by accident kind of event, like, you know, is her chance, I guess. And uh, I like her. I like her, um, you know, kind of, I don't want to say arrogance, but a little bit of uh, passive aggressiveness towards the female student, uh, Catherine. That has promise, for sure. Um, I just like that dichotomy a little bit. I think that's a fun little... I didn't pick up on that as a kid at all. But watching it again, I I liked it, you know? Um, I was frustrated for her a little bit. Uh, There were moments of anxiety when I was a kid watching it. Um, You know, when she was trying to recover some emergency rescue oxygen. And uh, it didn't happen for her as easily as it should have I felt bad for her um and I also kind of wondered why her husband uh Zach was so chill at times when he when she was kind of like potentially not going to make it back you know uh I felt like I would have been freaking out a little bit but maybe he's just playing that cool NASA you know calm cool collective like we've been here before kind of guy Kind
0: of admission mode at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I I do agree that Kate Capshaw, I love the chemistry between her and Leah Thompson. I think that was a, yeah. a, a smart casting uh pairing there. But the other thing too is, when dealing with the rest of the team, Kate Capshaw never got like screamy mad or anything, but she pulled off the, definitely, the, I'm disappointed in you vibe. And I think, you know, any kid who has pissed off their parents at any situation uh, knows that if the parent is screaming, you're probably going to survive. However, if they're quiet and go, I'm really disappointed in you,
2: you up.
0: (laughs) uh, yeah. yeah, Yeah, exactly.
2: There's some friends I know that like, even the, just the term disappointed is like the word, like I'm someone who always has like anxiety. Right. So if someone goes, relax, it drives me nuts. So it's like, yeah, I haven't thought of that, <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know. So it's funny when uh, you know some people they hear, you hear like, oh, this you disappointed me, and it's like, oh, that le- that like really rubs them the wrong way. So I hear what you mean. It's like that disappointment thing. Even when she was doing that uh, simulator, remember? Um, oh, I forget what it was called, but Leah Thompson was doing like the roles, like to prepare for if a if a landing is going uh out of whack like how to take the zero gravity kind of roles in that machine and she couldn't get it and she had that moment of like yeah you disappointed me a little bit so yeah i thought she was really good i thought she was a great actress good good pairing for the role for sure
0: oh yeah the the only thing worse than being disappointed is when you hear every single part of your name middle name included Oh God, yeah. In the very even tone where it's just like, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, just just go to your room and don't don't come out for about a week. But I know you're in big trouble. But but I I love the fact that she didn't get everything right, you know, and that this you know catastrophe that they find themselves in is very much the redemption arc for her as well, at the same time as she's trying to keep everyone alive. You know, and in in a movie that you know, you, you think about a movie like The Goonies right? Or even the monster squad. And the adventure is supposed to center around the kids and not necessarily the adult in the room. Yet right. Kate Capshaw is the adult in the room. And yet she fits in well with the rest of the group and doesn't take away from like neither. It's it's a good balance between the kids learning to, you know, learning to get through this and Kate Capshaw using this as a moment to to, to finally reach that pinnacle of what she was trying to do, yet while still trying to keep everyone alive.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, and you almost kind of wonder <clears throat> uh, that opening scene of her as a child, you kind of get that, like, you know, and then she still works in that field. Like, she's never lost that sense of childhood wonder about space. So there's a little bit of kid still in her and there's a little bit of fight. Like she doesn't ever, when I was a kid, she never had that. Like, I never thought of her as like some like curmudgeony old lady. You know what I mean? It it wasn't like the principal in back to the future. You know what I mean? Like Mm. she she was an authority figure, but she was more of like a, like a cool older sister more than anything else. You know, like she didn't have that, like, you know, Like her husband did, who, you know, but I will tell you, uh, Kelly Preston, I'm, I I was kind of putting it together. I definitely think that Tish, her character in this movie, my first crush, for sure. I, I I can see that. I, Kelly Preston she was, was just... Ah, a, oh, she was a gem in
0: this. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I will say before we do get to to Kelly Preston yeah, here... Yeah, sure, sure. Sorry, sorry. No, no, that's okay. It's okay. I love tangents. It's all good. But I will say that anyone who likes Captain Marvel, the movie with Brie Larson, I guarantee you that if you show them Space Camp, they will connect with Kate Capshaw's character because you can kind of see some of the same Carol Danvers' characteristics in Kate Capshaw's character in this
2: mm. yeah no definitely and uh I mean I think it's uh it's 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 a it's a happy accident that uh you know that she gets sent up there and is able to come home in one piece you know mm-hmm. it's really it's really great uh I, I was happiest for her I think to be honest well
0: also that she got to live too so that's always a good
2: Oh, well, that's what I, yeah i mean that's you know <laughs> but if she was gonna die uh space is the place for her to go
0: right you know like, what i
1: mean
0: get, get to where you gotta go and then you don't have to go anywhere anywhere further uh but let's exactly. let's talk about lee thompson who plays Catherine in this now you have to understand that this film came out the same year as howard the duck So this was like the year of Leah Thompson, but how was she in this for you?
2: I mean, um, she kind of had this like reluctant genius kind of thing going on. I don't know. Like she, she, she was tough at times. Right. But she also questioned her own ability. Um, especially when, you know, the heat was on, um, I thought it was interesting the way that she she had a really great line when she was getting hit on too hard by uh, another gentleman in class, uh, Tate Donovan's character, Kevin, mm-hmm. about just like, you know, stop trying so hard kind of. And uh, I thought that was really cool. Uh, watching it again as an adult, I'd have to say as a kid, it completely was over my head. In fact, I was just like, how come... He's not hitting on Kelly Preston. That's all I thought. Um, because at the time, I would just, you know, I didn't get it, you know. Um, but she was great. I mean, I thought that uh, it was interesting how she brought out the fighter in Andy. Um, I think Andy looked at her as, like, maybe she reminded her of who she once was or she has the potential still to be something that like maybe Andy thinks she can't be anymore. So I liked that kind of, I don't want to say like a mother daughter kind of, it was almost like sibling rivalry more than, you know, again, cause I don't think Kate Capshaw came across as old to me. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was almost kind of like a, I'm hard on you because I care about you and I know that you can do it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. Uh, I thought it was very cool i thought she handled the you know i always find it interesting too to think about like the the female that's being uh you know um what's the right word for it hit on but like that's not the word i'm looking for the female lead that's kind of being like uh sought after heavily by a male character how they how that like uh plays into the uh, overall, like, progression of the film. You know what I'm saying? Like, does it take away from it? Does it, you know? And I felt like her character didn't let that part uh, really get in the way or compromise the uh, importance of space camp.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh no, The, though, key, the yeah. key
2: was always space camp, which I liked. Yeah.
0: Catherine was on a mission, and she was not going to be sidetracked on that. One of the things I liked about Catherine, um, you know, she knew her stuff. There was no question whatsoever. Like, she was completely and utterly book smart when it came to right. space camp. And she had her her eyes and heart set on being mission commander. That was the goal, being mission commander. And then Andy kept on guiding her towards being the pilot. And there's something to be said about what your heart wants, but you, what your brain should be telling you what you're actually good at. And the fact that of Leah course. Thompson was able to get them back into orbit as the pilot, that all of a sudden, that was the calling. That was the yeah. calling moment. And, you know, the, the idea of being in command, while nice, not prepared for it. The idea of being the pilot, it's it's like that whole theory of the person who doesn't want the job is probably the person most qualified for that
2: job, And I think that actually plays out very well in this. Yeah, and it's almost kind of like the coach versus the quarterback, where, like, you know, the coach can be the one that can call the shots and make sure every I is dotted and T is crossed. But it's the quarterback that needs to execute the play. And and the whole team is dependent upon that person. So I think she saw in, Andy saw in her, like, you know, you're going to be the one that can rise to the occasion. You have the confidence. You have the strength. And I thought, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I thought that it was uh, definitely um, a good call for her. Yeah. it's like It's like in hockey, when you take a...
0: You know Someone who plays defense and they're super fast and they're really good and moving them up to the wing because it's actually their stronger position. Uh, Yes, I just got a hockey reference in a Space Camp episode, but here we are. I'm a Canadian. That's what we're going to do. Let's talk about Kelly Preston, who, of course, played Tish. Aside from being one of your first crushes, uh, how how did she fit into the role for you?
2: I mean, eh, a little forced. You know, I mean, she's like quintessential kind of cheerleader almost like mean girl good looking and she's got like the weird kind of um what do you call it like the uh like the the, the jewelry kind of interface constantly and whatever you know a, a bit of a, she, a
0: valley girl facade
2: valley girl facade but she's also like it seems like savant level photographic memory she reads books and just memorizes them um but she ends up being, like, a an incredibly supportive uh, person. Like, she kind of... I think her enthusiasm and her belief in their team pulling it off, like, really helps everyone kind of keep their calm and keep their composure and stuff. She never, like, flips out and gets, you know, what you would expect, I guess. Like, she was very... Um, you know, and I mean that, like, from in 1986... As a kid, I don't know. It, I thought that she was actually like a really cool. In the beginning, I was like, "Is she just kind of going to be like ditzy?" But she ended up being like pretty incredible. She knew Morse code. Like she's the one that basically connects with um, NASA. Correct? Am I me- remembering that right? Yes, it is.
0: She's yeah. She's basically using like the 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 one function in that where it's just just a quick little like triggering one of the the warning sensors in the ship yeah, so she was hopefully killing it. yeah absolutely in order in order for that to register on one of the consoles back in you know back at ground control i i think one of the things i liked about this and one of the things that kept on crossing my, my mind as i was rewatching this is that when it came to 80 sitcoms Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you had your people who liked family ties and stuff like that. And you had your people who liked uh, welcome back Cotter and, and like some of the, the, the the more goofier ones for me, it was head of the class. And I think because I was a bit of a geek and still am and yeah, like, like very, I I prided myself on trying to do very well in school. uh, Even though I I didn't always do that well, but I was very much like that, that, you smarts oriented kind of worked for me you know you you mentioned kelly preston being one of your first crushes i will fully admit that one of my first tv crushes uh was um oh god i think it was carol Seaver was the daughter on growing pains Sure, that was my favorite show, right? But yeah. again, because she was smart, because she, you know she had she had intelligence and looks too, but in intelligence, Tracy Gold—that's who the actress was. Tracy uh, Gold. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that's the part of the reason why Space Camp kind of clicked with me is because of my love of shows like Head of the Class and characters like Carol Seaver. It worked out well, and I think with Kelly Preston, it wasn't that she was was it a little thick with the valley girl yeah sure kind of thing but it was the 80s and nothing was subtle but the thing is she wasn't a mean girl she was just happy and smart when just with a photographic memory and i think that plays into this as well like the whole idea that everyone is there because they're they're dreamers and they're smart and they they have a shared vision and nothing kind of gets in the way of that
2: Right. No, that's true. And I agree. And I think that that's what she ended up being. I mean, literally the lifesaver, like she saved them kind of. I mean, like the fact that when NASA saw the, you know, um, when when the whole scene was going down, when basically Jinx was kind of being, uh, you know, <laughs> removed mm-hmm. from uh, from uh, headquarters there uh, the command center and he he starts to, you know, recite what's being coded. Um, that's a very important, I mean, she did it, you know, and she was super, uh, helpful, um, of max, you know, to go out and, and say, you know, get the oxygen, even when, uh, you know, her and, uh, and Leah Thompson's character, uh, Catherine were like sitting in their bunks kind of chatting and she's, you know, ready to put makeup on her and all that, you know, uh. Yeah, she's just a nice friend. She's like the opposite of a mean girl. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it's almost kind of like you're expecting it because it's that era, Mm -hmm. you know? But No, you're right. And nothing was subtle in the 80s. So
0: (laughs) Yeah, subtle like a hammer. Let's put it that way.
3: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons,
0: To me, personally, this felt kind of like the Steve Gutenberg and Police Academy kind of role. but how was Kevin yeah, for perfect. you?
2: No, you nailed it i I couldn't agree more, except Steve Gutenberg's way funnier and way I don't know um he was kind of a little bit all over the place to me um I, I didn't take him seriously at times as a kid as a kid. I think I, now I feel kind of like if they had another hour to make this movie it would have been him explaining some type of chuff like rough childhood or something like i don't know he seemed like he had some something to prove um now though like watching it again it's like oh yeah, i get it like you're right it is the kind of more of that gutenberg type like you know he had a serious side he you know chased you know, Catherine to that, like switched, you know, the, the color badge to get into the right group. And, uh, I didn't like when he snapped on Max, uh, that, that bothered me a little bit, uh, that particular scene. Um, that kind of really bothered me as a kid. Uh, that made me not like him to be honest, Mm. but you know, and I, I was very sensitive as a kid, still am at certain things, but I, I, I felt bad for, uh, for max but tate donovan's character you know i think these kids kind of had this thing where it was like immediately it's one for all and all for one and we're gonna do whatever we can to help each other get through this you know Mm -hmm. um that was neat and he was very good at that he kind of like rose to that occasion you know but he kind of just had a tad of like a bully vibe to me when i was younger it's funny going back and watching a movie you haven't seen since you were a kid. It elicits like notions and almost preconceptions about characters that you made before you've experienced life.
0: Mm hmm. You know what do I
2: mean by that? Oh, completely. It's, you know, as
0: I mentioned, it was the whole tying, tying it together with why I liked shows like Head of the Class and and Growing Pains and whatnot. But when you take a look at the role of Kevin, and of course, I mentioned Steve Gutenberg and Police Academy because there was some of that, you know, mischief making and, you know, trying to get into the same group as Catherine. But I think you could also take the role of Kevin and realize that it's a a, a a combination of Steve Gutenberg and police Academy and Matt Damon from Goodwill hunting in that Kevin's not dumb, you know, otherwise he wouldn't be at space camp. He wouldn't have figured all of this out. Like he's there for a reason. And I think he's almost like reluctantly smart. Like it's, he's smart and he knows it, but it's not cool to be smart. And he tries everything to almost self-sabotage those opportunities.
2: Perhaps. Yeah. I, I, I think that as an adult watching it, that's something to pick up on for sure. As a kid, I was kind of just like, mm, that dude seems like he would bully. He'd hold your head like in a bucket of water after a football practice or something like that, you know. But you're right. Like now looking at it, he is at space camp, you know, and he takes the parking space of the of the it's almost kind of like the movie wanted you. Not to like him in the beginning, mm-hmm. unless you had that kind of rebel, you know, badass kind of vibe, because he like parks in the, you know, in the um, what's his name's parking lot, Tom Skerritt's parking lot, yeah. parking space. And, you know, that whole thing. He's got the Jeep, the music's blaring, like, you know, whatever. It, it, it just almost kind of is like, who is this dude? But yeah, I mean, he definitely is smart because he's there. And he cares a lot for sure, and I think it's another one of those things where, like, once it rose to the occasion and things had to happen, you know, they stepped up. So,
0: I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that scene because I forgot how good a song "Confidence Man" by Eric Clapton was. I mean, a kind of a perfect one for that movie, right? Oh, it, again, in hindsight, the song is is perfect for it. Yeah. Larry B. Scott, who played Rudy in this one here. Not exactly the biggest role as far as the group goes, but how was Rudy for you?
2: Um, I remember this is a this is a similar emotion I had as a kid. Uh, and I had it again as an adult that I felt it, extreme empathy for him when they were in orbit. And he's talking out of nervousness. He's just talking. And it's not about anything, but that's his nervous tick is that he talks. But they're like, yo, we're running out of oxygen, man. Like, you got to stop. That moment in the movie, I think, was an incredibly powerful moment because it was like this thing of like your mental health versus your physical health. Like, it makes him comfortable to talk through these excruciatingly anxiety-provoking circumstances. But you can't talk because you're going to run out of air and die, you know? And I and I remember having, like, a, a feeling of, like, empathetic panic for him then. And it, and it happened again when I watched it over for this. So that moment to me was always a very, like, kind of important moment in the movie. So and that fact that it happened to him makes me kind of really love – His character But I will agree Other than that He kind of seemed Just like a sidekick You know Like Mm -hmm. He's not really Doing much else He's just kind of Hanging out with Tate Donovan At certain points And you know
0: You know I get the feeling I think I sent you My notes by accident Here when you're Talking about Rudy Because literally reading the first sentence i have written down here he's okay but i think he best exemplifies the fear of the moment so clearly we're on the same page when we're when we're watching this film but i think the other thing too is that when he's trying to explain how to plug the oxygen into the ship this is a moment not just for him but for andy and for Catherine as well right? right Catherine is trying to Insist that she knows exactly what she's talking about, but in this case, she doesn't. And it's another moment for Catherine to realize that she's not necessarily mission commander material, but she's still a damn good pilot. You know, let the specialist do what the specialist does
2: and give Rudy that moment of confidence. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's, it's, it's, again, and not to... I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it is this thing of like everybody kind of put their own, uh, their self aside, their ego aside at, at, at all times in this movie to help take care of their, you know, their cohorts. And that's definitely the time he did it. Now we get to talk about a very young Joaquin
0: Phoenix who played Max. Leaf. Exactly. Leaf at the time, but then, you know, changed just name back to Joaquin. Um, how was he for you though? The best.
2: I loved him. I mean, I just any kid that becomes friends with a robot over people, uh, is my man, you know? Like he he he's in love with Jinx, the robot that takes everything literally. And he had some really great lines like, Why don't you evaporate laser brain? I mean, like what an eighties insult. Laser brain? Um, yeah. His uh, desire to Leave Earth. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's pretty great. Um, he just, there was something about, like, you know, he's the underdog, right? And his buddy Max wants to make sure that he gets what he really wants because they're friends forever. And uh, I thought he was really cool. I, I, I As a kid, I loved him, you know? And watching it again, I was like, just from a right, because I, I write for TV so it's kind of like oh yeah like I get it (laughs) you know (laughs) like it was like oh yeah yep I see how this you know I see how this happened but yeah no he was he was killer yeah I I think the thing
0: with Max for me is that and and you have to remember this is 1986 so we're three years after Jedi right and there's a string of wonderful sci-fi films and you know young young kid adventure kind of things that are that are out there I was that Star Wars kid. I'm still that okay. Star Wars kid, but I was that Star Wars kid. You know, I I was that kid who just dreamed of all things science fiction. You know, I watched the Tom Baker era of Doctor Who. You know, I if it was sci-fi, I was taking it in like there, there was no question about it. And the thing with Max is that he's kind of that character where he is the portal for the viewer. He is us. He's the one that we're going to see, you know, ourselves in that position here. It's kind of like with yeah. Doctor Who, getting back to, you know, sci-fi geekery here. The companion is us. We're the ones yeah. who want to go on the adventure with the doctor, right? right so right. for this, Max almost embodies the viewer and, and that want to go into space. And and I I love that it's just a wide eyed, not naivete, but a wide-eyed eagerness and just a singular purpose to chase that dream.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And in the fact that he's been back, like it almost seemed to me, I don't know about you, but did it feel like he maybe lived at space camp? Oh. Like it almost seemed to me like last year, when or last session, when everybody's parents came to pick him up, like no one picked him up. So he just lived there and somehow like... You know, he just found food and I, he, he seemed to have no family. Maybe that was just, as a kid, I used to, like, it was the fun, the fun part of watching movies was to fill in the gaps that the movie left for me. So, like, I always like to build these, like, kind of backstories for these characters, you know. And for him, it seemed like maybe he was someone who, you know, a little brother left behind, maybe kind of collateral damage of some sort. And, uh, he just wanted so bad to like, 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 why would a kid that young want to like leave earth (laughs) so badly? Like, you know, like I feel like he was leaving a lot of pain, but what's interesting is the second that he gets up there, he's the first one that goes, I want to go home.
0: Oh yeah, that no. Was very it's very interesting. Yeah. It, it's the reality of the moment because
2: exactly.
0: You know, when you're, the, and I think that's the part of the reason why they had him constantly quoting Star Wars. Right, you have that image of your in your head of what space exploration is going to be like. You have this idealism of the adventure and the excitement. You know, you want to be you know, in the Millennium Falcon going from planet to planet and adventure to adventure. You want to be on the bridge with the Starship Enterprise if you're a Star Trek fan. You know, you want to be up there fighting Cylons if you were a fan of Battlestar Galactica. Like, I get it. But once you're in the reality of the moment and it stops becoming this, this fantastical image of what it could be and you're faced with what it really is... That's when it's like, nope no, nope, no nope, I I, I want to go back to dreaming again and that's
2: that's a that's a very real response, I think. oh of course. and in fact the that might be the saving grace moment for me with Tate Donovan's character is when Max is scared to go out and get the oxygen and you know Kevin's going Luke, use the force, Luke and it's just like that you're right, that nod to um you know, obviously what's going to make Max strong. Right. And we all did that as kids. And I think you're right where he's that vehicle for all of us. Like we all got to go out and get that oxygen, that metaphorical oxygen someday. We all have to save the adult that screwed up, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of depth in this movie. And, uh, and, and that was something that I, th- and maybe that wasn't even, uh, on purpose. No
0: no they'll they'll tell you it was on purpose even if it wasn't that that's just of the rule of it, right but that's it, the rule of being
3: a writer I i'm, glad, I'm
0: glad you brought up that whole thing with kevin too like in you know reach you know hitting max on his level because there, there was also that moment where you know max is like I, I i gotta go to the bathroom right and he does no idea how to use the mr thirsty right so yep. yeah but, but kevin's there almost in that big brother moment so i think it's fascinating that you mentioned that the moment that kevin loses it on max is the moment you you disliked kevin but then there's the moments where kevin is helping max through the scariest time of his life and Max is also Kevin's
2: redemption in this yeah yeah very true no you're right and uh you know I think that it's uh I went on the I I'm not the perfect viewer I'll admit that you know what I mean like I go on rides where I will hate a character one time and the next time I watch it I love it love that character so I mean I kind of think that all these characters kind of make up one character, you know? And there are portions of our personality that, like, you know, sometimes you're the annoying little brother. Sometimes you're the annoyed older brother. And maybe when it, like, resonates with you at that time, uh, it makes you feel a certain way about you, and you then kind of project that onto the character, you know? Um, I liked the way that Kevin was able to kind of big brother him at the right times, like, by, you know, helping him with the bathroom and use the force. But then I didn't like him when he was, uh, you know, being a bully to him in the locker room. But it's all, you know, I mean, it's it's no one's perfect. And I think, and that's what's kind of, you know, I like when movies have characters that are flawed.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, especially when you realize that some people are losing it in the moment of danger. And some people are rising to the challenge. And Kevin yeah. definitely rose to the challenge in this. Tom Skerritt, who played Zach, of course, Kate Capshaw's husband in this, um, not exactly the biggest role, because of course the adventure was focused on, you know, the group that's up in space, but how was Tom Skerritt for you?
2: I don't know. Forgettable, to be honest. I don't really it, 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 he just kind of seemed a little uh unfazed, I guess, or I don't know. Like it, it, of all the characters, like, you know, he just seemed kind of like one-dimensional to me. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a lot to, to 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 remember about him even, really. He seemed extremely forgettable.
0: I think the thing for me is that, you know, when they, they're first on the screen together, uh, Tom Skerritt and Kate Capshaw... It feels almost like a mentor moment when they're, you know, they're walking away from the jet and sure, you know, not necessarily like a, or, or even more like a a father daughter kind of relationship. And yes, I recognize there's a 20 year age difference. So that is quite possible. But then there's that moment where he's like, my wife is up there. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You two are married? Like what? Yeah. A little
2: weird. it,
0: It was. And that's the thing. Like at no point, until that moment, did Tom Scarrett and Kate Capshaw feel like they were married? And it's like, it almost felt like an unnecessary tie. You could have had Tom Scarrett be the person who was running the the entrance exams and whatnot for Kate Capshaw and believed in Andy so much that he wanted to keep her into the fold. He, they didn't need to be married. You didn't right. need that connection.
2: Yeah, no, I didn't really... Uh... He just kind of seemed to me to be someone who was sort of like blase about everything until he realized that they were running out of oxygen and that they couldn't, you know, I don't know. It just seemed a little bit, yeah, the relationship thing seemed weird. I didn't get it as a kid that they were married or not. Like it was just a, he's an authority figure and she was kind of like bummed about doing space camp again member and he's and and he was the one that was kind of like no yeah this is it this is what we're doing like you're doing this like she reluctantly was teaching space camp that year there that that happens in the parking lot they have a chat yeah so it's just this kind of thing where he almost seemed a little bit like I don't know not a bummer but like bossy and sterile and I don't know not a fun character
0: yeah you could have rewritten the backstory in that they were father daughter and he had gone up to space and his daughter wanted to follow in her father's footsteps yeah exactly Uh, yeah and and it wouldn't have changed a damn thing except for one line of dialogue in it and
2: that's about it yeah really i wasn't all that like and that's almost one of those things you know where maybe they did and again now it's just so funny looking at it now where it's like writer's room brain now i'm just kind of like maybe they just threw that in at the at at the 11th hours it's like maybe it would add a little ajou to the story if he's like my wife's up there Mm. because literally they're not passionate they're not they don't kiss they're nothing yeah you know so maybe it could have just been a last minute like you know maybe we add a little bit something here who knows
0: Right. I I do have to point out before we get to one more thing here that in 2020, Disney announced that they were going to be doing a remake of this film. And if they do, that'd be one great thing to fix out of this one.
2: I know. Right. Yeah, really. It's true. That's a great point.
0: Also, oh, I would love to see a remake. Oh, I was about to say, like, normally I'm not exactly jacked about remakes and whatnot, but I'm sorry if Disney Plus gets, you know, does a remake of Space Camp. Count me in because I think it's hundred percent. Yeah, I think this is the perfect property to do it because it has it was hindered by the release date and world events that happened yeah, at the time, and yeah. I feel I feel really bad about it because this film is a gem, and it it, it was just released
2: at an unfortunate time. I have to say in going back and watching it, and to your point, I thought that the special effects for 1986, I thought it was really fantastic. I mean, I did not think it looked hokey and cheap. And, you know, even like when they made it to the space station and just the construction of it. And when, you know, Max starts to kind of drift off into space and, you know just some of it i mean there were definitely some pretty cheesy uh moments like with the you know shuttle kind of either coming back or taking off and there's like a you know the um reflection of the sh- of the shuttle going by like the window and you know like that stuff but the actual in in the shuttle and in orbit and even when like she was trying to escape the hatch and things like that like i thought it looked really cool for 1986 and then watching it again i was expecting it to be a little hokey but wasn't terrible
0: i i think the smart thing is that a lot of the the storytelling well first of all a lot of the storytelling was on earth so that helped a lot but
2: for sure once yeah. you were
0: in the shuttle most of the stuff that they were doing was in sections of the shuttle that didn't have windows in it so i think they definitely i mean yes you could tell the green screen but of course that, you know this is sure you know, do the math yeah. here 37 years old as of the time right. that we were recording this so holy crap i'm old but you know green
2: screen aside you know it does it still holds up to this day yeah it didn't look bad at all really and and i and i i thought that to me as a kid like i was fascinated i mean like my, my space uh my, my room was covered in you know glow-in-the-dark stars and planets and you know All of that. Telescopes, the whole nine. And, uh, yeah, I thought, man, I loved those scenes. I loved them. When they were all looking out the window together, like, it was just like, it felt real, you know? And Mm. and I was happy with that, for sure. And I think a lot of that
0: credit can be given to the actors for really hitting on the wonder of the moment. Like, despite the scariness of the reality of it, there's that there's that moment where all of a sudden you're weightless and you're looking out at space and you're looking out at Earth from, from space and just being able to properly embody and convey that moment of wonder yeah.
2: despite
0: everything that's going on.
2: Yep, that's a great point.
0: But now we get to talk about the one and only, the mastermind behind all of this, jinx the robot as voiced by frank welker the voice of megatron how was jinx for you
2: friends forever i (laughs) loved him friend yo max um it was confusing as a kid to again now i think about it from when this movie when the when the writers first sat down and when they went all right so here's the pitch Right? Like, it's space camp. This kid wants to go to space. How does he get there? He's friends with a literal robot. Like, the the robot has a f- tragic flaw, and it's that he takes everything literal. I mean, it's just... I just picture 1986, like, people going, like, oh my god, yes, you know? Um, it, it cracks me up now. Um, I thought that Max loved... Uh, I mean I th- I think that Jinx like somehow a robot felt love for a human. He loved Max. They were f- best friends. They were friends forever. And uh it's just the fact that that robot could pull off such a an amazing task like you know. It was really cool. And the fact that he knew Morse code um was just he he was the movie man. I mean there's no movie without Max without uh
0: Without Jinx, yeah
2: Without Jinx, you know And, and uh, I felt like Jinx was, was Everything you could want him to be in more I mean, it was kind of an
0: '80s trope in trying yeah. to trying to shoehorn in a robot, even when the robot didn't need to be there. Like, obviously, you've got Short Circuit in Johnny Five. You know, like that—that's yeah. like one of the greatest robots of of cinema, Johnny Five. But then you also had movies like Rocky Four that had the robot that was in there. Oh God, I know right you had clash of the titans with like the little metal robotic owl that was flying around yeah battery's not included oh god right right and then yeah. like even tv shows like like the battle of the planets cartoon where they had a shoehorn in seven zark 7 or you had yeah. um the fantastic 4 and they had herbie small the wonder. robot yeah small oh god yes small wonder the tv show by the way yep. the the voice of herbie in the 1978 fantastic 4 cartoon was also Frank Welker.
2: So he's, he's used wow. to this. Wow. That's a typecast, huh? Right. No, well, you know what? He was someone who, I mean, I felt like Jinx was this like, I don't know, that's why I liked Max so much was because to me, that Jinx literally could have been a dog. You know what I mean? Like he just, it was like a sad boy's best friend mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, and it's just like, he was just a robotic dog that somehow knew how to launch a shuttle, you know, um, he, he was just this, like he was in the, that, that weird like storage bin, like that utility closet. And, uh, when they were, when all the kids were picking on him, remember that part? Like when he was getting bullied and poor jinx, I felt bad for him at that moment. But, uh, when the shuttle was taken off and he was just like, bye, bye max. Like it, it was just this weird, like, yeah, Watching it now, it's like, ay, ay, ay. But back then, it was like, damn, that's one cool robot.
0: Oh, I'm sure there was a way to take this film and some of the Max scenes and just change the tonality of it by putting up some horror soundtrack in it. Like, bye, bye, Max. Like, oh, God, he's killed
2: them all. Yeah, he's like, friends forever. This is Skynet. This is the original Skynet. (laughs) But but, but, And it is funny, though, too. Isn't he basically, you know, R2-D2?
0: I think more like canine from Doctor Who, like from the Tom Baker era. Okay. Like, again, I'm geeking out here with my Doctor Who-ness and all that. I don't, yeah,
2: I'm not the most (laughs) privy to the Who-ness. But yeah, no, I I just think it's this interesting, like, we have to have, like, yeah, it's 80s. It's just 80s, you know? It's just, how could there be a movie without a, a, a pivotal robot? Oh, yeah,
0: and... I, I think it's one of those things where, like, I, I I'd be afraid now if the in the Disney Plus reboot it was some kind of like AI or some kind of handheld device or something like that that that's able to communicate. No, you need to have a robot if you are going to do the remake because Jinx needs to make that happen. But that being said, when it comes to the reboot and you know the, the eventual reboot, because I'm I do hope that this actually does happen. So I'm going to ask you this: Would you rather a reboot made for Disney Plus movie? Or a series?
2: Oh. Uh, Space Camp series? Um. Nah. I think Space Camp stays a movie. It just because it would get, like... I don't know. Like... I just feel like it... Uh, yeah, I'm just gonna go movie. Some shows just shouldn't be a series. I mean... You look at Cobra Kai and it's like, it's cool, but it's like, you can't Cobra Kai every, like, what happened, like, like, in Space Camp, like, I guess what happens, does the, the, I mean, maybe they stay in space longer, they reach certain planets, like, I, I don't know, like, it just feels to me, you're either drawing out the inevitable or you're extending the inevitable to a point of nausea at that point.
0: Yeah, you know.
2: I mean, I I could see it maybe
0: as like a three part limited series, but that's about it. I don't think Perhaps, you want to go yeah. too much longer. But I think yeah. you know, if you had a three parter, you could at least flush out a character like Rudy and try to give him a bit more, a bit yeah. more, if you will. But I, I I think you're right. I think in this case, it's self contained as a movie. And right. I think for once, I'm going to agree that that no, don't don't make it a series. Just keep it as yeah. a movie, and we'll be just fine keep it here. As
2: a movie. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so Mike, we've come to that point of this of this show here. Who is your MVP of 1986's Space Camp? Leaf Phoenix. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. And I love that little guy. And what what a debut! Like, really, what a
2: debut! Like, just- I mean, for real. He he was just he's the underdog he's the the bullied little brother he lives at space camp the guy needs a home somebody bring him home you know like w- what's his deal that's the backstory I want to know how come he's so emotional and so adult at such a young age like all when he was like oh I just got to get to space like I have to get to space like what's he running from you know even as a kid I'm like this kid. This kid, this kid's been through it, you know, and he's just got such like a like a depth of character, and he's kind of to me steals the show, you know. I like a little guy that sort of, uh, you know, all the big kids and the and the 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 you know adults and whatever, like they're all kind of. He's just omnipresent, you know, throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And and the thing him. is
0: not annoying like there are, there are some no. kid roles that were out there especially in the 80s there were some kid roles that were annoying af and that's nothing against the actors at the time i'm very very adamant that it's never the actor in the moment it's the director or the script um but i think in well, this case yeah. max max was bang on he was eager not naive he was ambitious and and I'm not gonna say visionary, but he, but he had big dreams, you know, dreams bigger than he was. And it worked. It it was, he was the audience. Unfortunately, he's not my MVP. For me, for me, it's Kate Capshaw. I thought so. Yeah. there, There were times in this where she could have become the authority figure or become too harsh on Catherine, um, And basically dumping all her failures on her. But she didn't. She kept it in check. And she wasn't bossy. She was almost very motherly to the group, despite initially not wanting to be there. And I think that helped the group dynamic overall.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. I appreciate that. And I think she got her wish in the end, right? <clears throat> oh yeah, like
0: she made it to space. The moment when when they're up there, and yeah, you know, once the danger of the moment passes, it's like okay, we survived, we're alive, it's all good, and and we're here. And it's yep. almost like you can you can feel that that moment of like panic being replaced by awe and wonder. And it's th- that that initial moment, once they realize that they're safe for the time being, it's it's yeah. a wonderful moment and. Just reaffirm my love of all things space. Mike, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to go back and re-watch this film. Now, before we go, I want you to let everyone know again about your tour, your special coming out, and where our listeners can find you on the interwebs.
2: First of all, thanks a bunch. I had a blast. Um, Let's do it again. There's a lot of 80s movies that uh, need some love. (laughs) Um, My special... Don't Let Me Down, is going to be on my YouTube channel November 9th. Uh, It's youtube.com slash Mike Fanoia, M-I-K-E-F-I-N-O-I-A. On the socials, it's at Mike Fanoia on all things. Um, My website is mikefanoia.com, and there you can find, you know, merch, tour dates, things to that effect, Um, the podcasts. I have two. Uh, one's called Dented Cans, where I talk to other comedians just about our journey through comedy. Um, and you can find that on my YouTube channel and where you listen to podcasts. And my podcast, Comes a Time, I co-host with the great Oteil Bur- Burbridge, who is the bass player from the Allman Brothers and Dead and Company. And uh, we have unbelievably stellar guests that... Come on and talk about everything from extraterrestrials to mental health to music and sports and psychedelics and all things in between. And uh, we are on, we're a brethren uh, podcast on the Pantheon Network. So um, you can find us at Comes a Time Pod on all things. Mike
0: thank you so much for this and there is a microphone waiting for you whenever you want to come back on and yes we do have to do that Harry and the Henderson's episode and to you oh, are yeah. oh, absolutely right now there's people sitting there going come on make with it let's hear about the Harry and the Henderson's here um soon enough exactly but dear listeners you guys know the drill if there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in space that we can find anything good to say about it hit us up on social media at not that bad cast or go to our website at not and while you're there make sure you check out our coming soon page and all of our other shows including keep watch pass and there can only be one until next time mike thank you so much listeners you guys are awesome this is it's not that bad take care